Brian, can you provide some background to your role in advertising and what's led you to, to your role today at ACOST? Yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, I've had an interesting run the last 20 years. I, uh, I started my first job at CNN, Turner Broadcasting, in the late 90s. Turner Broadcasting has one of the best training programs in the world. I really got a good intro to the world of media that I didn't know even existed. Media is bought and sold and the relationships there. And over the years, you know, a little thing called digital emerged. And, you know, we got out of the 1.0 digital hiccups and stronger business models emerged in the early 2000s. And that's when I made the switch. All my friends thought I was crazy. But, you know, I saw an opportunity as consumption was changing and new platforms were allowing brands to connect with those audiences. And I jumped full on in. And then, you know, over the last 15 years or so, I worked for video companies. I've spent time at programmatic first companies and automating buying and selling. Back to a big company with Spotify, where I uh, was responsible for the global video business, to now uh, kind of come in full circle to an audio company that is using technology to change how people consume podcasts and also how creators can earn a living off of their work. We take a step back then and, and compare video and audio. And, and maybe just look really fundamentally how you look at the difference in the, the advertising ecosystems. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, video has gone through a number of uh, steps of evolution over the last 20 years. You know, when I first got to Turner Broadcasting in 1999, Ted Turner had a, a program called Media at the Millennium. And they were trying to describe how cable television had reached the point of mass consumption, that it was very similar to broadcast television, and therefore should command similar pricing. Now, obviously, we know it's, you know, now very equal. And, you know, when digital video was emerging about 10 years later, you know, 10, 12 years later, it was faced with similar challenges. You had the long tail of video. You had full episode players. That was the real kind of premier branded content. But the one thing that I think was lacking, you know, in both instances was the lack of some standardization in, in media metrics. Uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s, a lot of cable networks weren't rated yet. So uh, it was difficult for them to, you know, to command that type of pricing that broadcast enjoyed because you couldn't get a Nielsen rating and that's how we know all audiences are monetized. You know, and then looking to digital video, what started with the full episode players and those kind of same TV networks, they enjoyed the first bit of success. But all the other content that had large viewers. You know, every time you type in brownie recipes into Google, you'd find a recipe and there'd usually be a video there with it, but it might not be a, a brand piece of content. But it was still valuable, right? What was needed there was a, was a metric that you know, people could understand, that could cut across everything and be applied across all those channels. And that metric was viewability. Uh, viewability was something, you know, I think at first emerged because there was concern around... Um, in-banner video playing with the sound off and pixels hidden behind whatever. So it's kind of a fraud issue at first. And then people realize, wow, this is one kind of standard metric we can apply to the full episode players, which we know naturally will do well, as well as all those other emerging. And, you know, the two metrics that we saw that all digital video buyers were looking for over the last decade or so is viewability and completion. 
Did you watch my video all the way through? And during that period, were the appropriate amount of pixels in play for the right amount of time? And that's where video really took off right around 2015, 2016, was that metric that everyone could measure. There was third parties that were able to do it from integral ad science and mode and double verify. You had associations. And regardless of whether viewability was you know, the way they measured it was the right way or not, it was still a standard. And now when I think about podcasting, you know, that is one of the challenges that face our medium is, you know, there's, there's different standards, there's different metrics, it's a little confusing. I think we need our viewability moment, and my bet is it's coming real soon. But isn't there a difference in the, the technical journey and process of advertising audio versus video? For example, using the RSS feeds, you know, some of the... Podcasters use the URL, you know, embedded links. So how do you compare the structure technically versus video? Well, everyone has a content management system. That's still relatively the same, but you're right. Podcasting is kind of a, uh, a free medium, if you will, that you can get, for the most part, any podcast anywhere, right? Take some of the Joe Rogan examples out, et cetera. You know, if you want to watch an episode of CSI, you can't watch that everywhere because there's rights issues and you know, there's, you know, walled gardens, et cetera. So, so it is a little bit different. And that's quite frankly, what kind of makes it a little bit more complicated, right? But those are the things I think as an industry, we're all working toward right now. What do you think would trigger the viewability moment? I think it's third parties. I think, you know, having external firms that can come in and measure and verify and report on some of these metrics are very, very important. We've seen, you know, the big companies, the Facebooks and Googles over the years get tripped up when they're grading their own homework. And, you know, while those two big companies and duopolies are, are critical to the ecosystem, you know, there's been a lot of challenges and a lot of concern around the reporting of that data. So I think someone needs to come up with a metric. Is it audibility? Is it a, a listen through rate? Is it something like that? I know a lot of companies are working on it, but there needs to be something like that, I think. That'll allow the channel to grow like video. And so you think it's really a, a measurement issue that's preventing the industry from going to the next level? It's the commercialization piece of it. I think it's a big piece. It's a misconception, but you know, the, the critics of podcasting are also kind of right. Because we, we haven't made it easy to buy, right? It, we haven't made it easier to understand. There's confusion about what a download is versus a stream. There's different types of ads that are out there from host read ads to audio ads to pre-produced ads to, to branded content. You know, the way IAB measures an impression is different than, you know, if it's dynamically inserted. So there is still a lot of confusion. There's a lot of different players out there. Again, very similar to video, but, you know, if you get some of these measures like viewability, if you get a, a demo targeted measurement like DAR did for video from a targeting side, I think that, that, will, that will certainly help. How do you look at the different formats? You mentioned a few there where, you know, read by the host, dynamically inserted. Where are we in that shift towards true dynamic insertion of ads versus the less scalable, the host reading these out? Yeah, I mean, dynamic ad insertion is a must to scale the business and to properly measure it. You know, even just thinking about the practicality of being able to rotate creative in a, in a time like we're living right now. I mean, imagine having a, you know, a, a travel ad baked into a podcast from a year ago. 
And a lot of listens still happen on back catalogs, right? It's, there's a lot of great content out there from TED Talks to the history podcast to even true crime stuff, right? A lot of podcasts are evergreen. And you have older ads that don't take into account the times that we live in, travel restrictions, other uh, categories that have been affected by it. Then you've got challenges. So I think it starts with dynamic ad insertion and something ACAST has pioneered. We invented two years ago and we do for every single ad we deliver. You know, as part of that, our different ad formats that we leverage, we do do sponsor uh, host red ads. It's kind of been a, a main fixture of podcasting for years. It's part of, the, I think, the joy that people have is that uh, having a host talk about your ad you know, makes it more organic, makes it fit into the content. It's a, an endorsement, if you will. And, you know, we want to continue that. But obviously there's a challenge in, you know, host read ads, particularly in a programmatic environment, because you have to still pre-record an ad and then deliver it in there. So it's a challenge people are working toward. But I think there's other innovations that can happen here. I think audio ads, if you will, you know, dynamically inserted audio ads that are either read by a producer or uh, take into account different types of creative capabilities, perhaps dynamically change creative based upon your location or the weather or you know, some, some more of the data we know about you. I think as long as it is customized, the host spread part of it isn't you know, as important as the fact that it's not a, a, a radio ad that the same 10 million people listen to. I think that's the piece that, uh, you know, that the audience really is asking for. But we're experimenting with all those different ad formats. And the critical part of our research is making sure we understand which works, right? Which ones resonate with consumers, but what also drive outcomes for advertisers. Because if we don't drive outcomes for advertising, none of it matters. And so, so if I'm a host of a podcast, I could pre-record lots of different advertisements and then we could dynamically insert them based on, like you said, location, demographics on the platforms. Sure. Which one would be the standard just, you know, pre-read for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah, we have that capability in-house. We work with podcasters to do different types of versioning, you know, to work with them on scripts. Uh, it's a key part of our business is to help consult on the right type of creative to use for in the right moment. How do you compare the podcast dynamic ad insertion versus music streaming? The technology itself is similar depending upon what the platform is. But again, the reporting back is a little bit different because, you know, in a streaming environment, you are in fact streaming, right? You have a live connection and there's that feedback loop of, you know, when an ad started, quartile reporting, when an ad ended. Uh, with podcasts, you still have people that download, right? Now we've seen an increase in streaming and we kind of think that's where the you know, market is going. But still a lot of people, you know, they download a bunch, they get cute on the phone and, you know, they, they listen with or without a connection. So that's a little trickier, but you know, I think as more podcasts are streamed in real time, it'll open up for more accurate reporting and measurement. So as the streaming penetration from listening to podcasts increases, that's more likelihood to use dynamic ads therefore better measurement, therefore more attractive to the advertisers. That's right. I mean, how difficult would it be to change that consumer behavior though for downloading and, and you know, using some RSS feeds or how do you look at that change in behavior? 
Yeah, I mean, that I think rests with the platforms, right? That's you know, a little bit of outside of our control. But I think, you know, the investment of uh, companies like uh, Spotify and the Pandoras and the iHearts have made in this world to include different types of audio consumption into the platform, I think should start to uh, accelerate that shift. But who knows? That's what makes this all fun. Right. And then the quality of the audio ad should be, I mean, I'm just thinking from the user experience of listening to adverts, even on Spotify, for example, you know, the advert is kind of before the music, whereas in audio, it's kind of like integrated into the actual experience. Well, you know, with, with some of those streaming platforms, you could say they're really long form experiences and ads are inserted just at proper insertion points between songs. So you have to think of it as less about, okay, and add a pre-roll before a song and more like, how long is my session? And then when do those ads get inserted? Is it every 15 minutes? Is it every 20 minutes? Is it when the person is active on their phone and changing songs or something like that? Every platform is different, but I think you absolutely have to take the consumer, you know, in mind because again, like, you know, in video, think about video, right? Let's compare video again. What is the commercial load of most premium video providers now? I mean, some of the broadcast networks, you know, you're in the UK. What, what is, you know, the Channel 4, Channel 5, ITV? You know, some of them, I would argue, I've been, you know, the last time I was in London, I, some of them I counted probably 8 to 10 to 12 minutes of commercials per hour. And you, you can't minimize the video. You can't skip past it. It's almost like a full load, two and a half per pod, seven pods. You got a lot of ads there. And you got to think, what is the unintended consequences of, you know, putting more ads into those pods? You know, that's what probably drove low viewability, right? People minimizing, people skipping, right? You've got this kind of skip culture right now. I, I watch my kids on YouTube and they just hover over, hover over that skip ad button. And I can hear them, skip the ad, skip the ad, skip the ad. You know, we've kind of been accustomed to this because ads are everywhere. And podcasting is one of those kind of great last frontiers where podcasting still is very respectful. It's very, uh, it's, the ads are, are integrated in a civilized way, right? Where they're not shouting at you like uh, video can or even audio streaming can. So we just have to be very careful that as we do scale this and as we automate and as we bring the creative in, got to protect the user experience or you're going to get issues. Because right now you can skip ads and podcasts if you want. Right? We don't see it, really, right? And I think that's one of the reasons why. So got to protect against that and we can create other problems. How do you look at the ad load versus video for a podcast? Oh, it's much lower, for sure. You know, uh, the, the video world, as I mentioned, you know, in the major markets, the US, the UK, Germany, Australia, you know, most premium video carries a load of a minimum of seven minutes per hour. If you look at even social platforms and you scroll through them now, Look how many uh, autoplay, audio off, you know, video you see. It's everywhere. Podcasting is still very uncluttered. And it's not our job to bring virtual commercial loads so we can make more money. You know, that would be kind of the greedy, improper way to approach it. And I would advocate violently against, right? Uh, we can't do that. We can't make the same mistakes that I think we've made in some of these other mediums. And I think everyone gets that, but, you know, we'll see. But I guess the CPM is much higher as well, right? It's like 30 bucks for, for podcasting for the industry, roughly, which seems to be much higher than like a YouTube video ad or... YouTube has tons of supply, 
right? So now we're in a great situation where tons of supply can drive down that pricing. Digital audio ads, um, again, there's more of them. So CPMs are lower. Video, there's more video, but video CPMs are higher too, right? Which is interesting that video has been able to enjoy high CPMs. You know, and the effective CPMs of some video campaigns, because they use models like CPCV, can be even higher. Most people don't even do the math on that. But podcasting CPMs have been right around what video is without that commercial load, right? Without that kind of forced lack of proper integration into the experience. So I think it's one of the best values in the marketplace because you've got an engaged audience, right? That purposefully chose the podcast they want to listen to. They've got their earbuds in, right? Literally pumping into your brain. You know, you're not watching casually on your couch or your desktop. You know, you may be doing other activities, but those earbuds are going right into your brain and people are talking to you. They're talking to you as if you are talking to me right now. And I think that engagement in an environment where we're bombarded with messages left and right all day long, it's that intimate kind of experience that I think has been able to justify those higher CPMs. And look, at the end of the day, as I kind of started off in the beginning, podcast advertising works, right? You know, when I talk to buyers, they're almost like, I don't care what the CPM is. Tell me who my audience is and did I drive them to some sort of action? That's only that matters. So I'll pay triple digit CPMs for that. But, you know, you got to be transparent in how you did it and you got to show me it works. And the good thing is podcasting does work. It probably works because of all the reasons we just talked about, but now we can prove it. And I think that's what's ushering in new brands into the channel and what's going to contribute to the growth. Do you expect CPMs to actually increase then? Like when you've got this dynamic insertion, more targeting, more shift to streaming, is you expect to see CPM to increase rather than increase the ad load as video did? Yeah, it's possible. I'm not really worried about it though. You know, pricing, I think good solutions rise to the top. And I think, you know, brands are willing to pay for outcomes. And I think all media will eventually be performance-based media. As I talk to buyers about it, everyone is measuring something, you know, whether it's footfall or awareness or affinity or intent or an actual purchase of something. I think that's why it's so fascinating that DTC brands have kind of, uh, kind of embraced podcasting first. The most ROI, hyper-focused, measuring every click of the sales process. If podcasting didn't work, they wouldn't be here, right? Insurance companies wouldn't be here that have all these kind of optimization engines and everything where they're looking at every, you know, return on advertising dollars spent. It didn't work, they wouldn't spend here, but they are. So that tells us that, you know, it is an appropriate channel and the way we've approached it as an industry is the correct one. We need to bring more people into it that are still skeptical because of the metrics and all that. But again, doing it the right way. I don't want to hear repurposed radio spots on podcasts because that, again, is kind of what we did in TV or in digital video with repurposed TV spots. I, you know, those silly ads with the kind of, you know, quirky humor that, you know, is just made in mass that's not going to work in podcasts but it's interesting how podcasting now has can almost do advertising in a high integrity manner if i can say that you know like where it's where video and in order to some extent it kind of lost control and they kind of blasted you with ads and whether you're in the feed or before pre-roll where 
it does seem that podcasting specifically can still maintain the consumer experience to some extent. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that we as an industry have done a good job policing ourselves with that. And hopefully it'll continue. You mentioned how you're not worried about pricing or how CPMs involved. What are you worried about? Worried about growing the, the business the right way and making sure we preserve the integrity of it. That's our job to protect it and, you know, ensure that we're delivering results for all constituents. I mean, it's an ecosystem, right? You've got the user, which has to be the center of your universe because you don't have the user, you don't have a business. You got to protect the podcaster, right? So they can, like I said, earn a living off their work that they can grab insights into what's working and what doesn't. And they can create art because they are creating art. These podcasters that I talk to, you know, we just have so many stories from them about, you know, this is their dream to, to, to speak and to, and to tell stories and whether, you know, people from diverse backgrounds with, you know, stories of their upbringing or stories of their families or behind the scene, never be heard stories. There's so much to be done and to be able to create an environment where they can get paid for that is a really fulfilling one. And then of course the advertiser is the one supporting all of this. If we're not connecting the right audiences that are engaged and want to take action, then it doesn't keep the kind of flywheel, you know, running. So we have to make sure that all three constituents are kind of interchange and, and uh, are harmonious in it. And it's tough. But I like how we approach it at ACAST and our philosophies around it and how we're building it as an independent agnostic platform. So, uh, you know, I like our chances in, in contributing to the betterment of the, of the channel for everyone. What do you think is the most crucial part of that flywheel between the user, the creator, and the advertiser? I'm encouraged by the amount of uh, new content that's coming in. And that's kind of one of the most interesting things about podcasting is the barrier to entry is a little bit lower because you just have to talk, right? You know, we've been approached by like, world-class musicians, you know, that are like, I want to do a podcast. You have no idea how many stories I have from the road. And I'm like, man, that, that would be really cool, right? To new categories in podcasting, like you know, one of our podcasters called Creepy as part of the Bloody Disgusting Network. It's horror, right? It's amazing how scared you can be just from audio without visuals, right? So there's, you know, a lot going on in the content creation side, which I'm really excited about. And, you know, part of part of what's happening with COVID is, you know, most of Hollywood's still shut down and not able to, the sets, you know, are, are you, you can't get to. And podcasting is something we can do from our home. And a lot of podcasters are. So uh, I'm really encouraged by the amount of content that's being created and, and more stories and more people entering and is, is good for the industry. And then for the advertiser side, I'm also encouraged by you know, the number of brands that are interested in it. I think, you know, some brands are still waiting for everything to be perfect and to be able to put podcasting in a nice little bucket, which, you know, is tough to do. I think people struggle with like where to put Snapchat years ago. You know, is it social? Is it video? Is it, what is it? Is it a camera company, right? You know, buyers tend to like to want to bucket you somewhere. For podcasting, is it audio? Is it digital media? Is it radio? Is it new? And sometimes, you know, it's a challenge, you know, uh, working through kind of the legacy classification systems of the past, and that can limit growth. But, you know, I'm encouraged by the interest. And then, of course, the users, I mean, you know, Edison reported earlier this year 
that now, you know, 104 million or 105 million people now listen to podcasts on a monthly basis. That's practically a third of the entire U.S. population, you know, less so are doing it on a weekly basis, but that's growing. So podcasting is a mainstream activity. You know, it's, I, I find myself talking to people, you know, we don't share what our favorite Netflix show is anymore. We share what our favorite podcast is. It's kind of like, you know, discovery is still a challenge. It's still like word of mouth. I just got the phone with someone else and like, ooh, that's one I got to go check out, right? Because there's so many out there. So I, I feel like it has become a part of society, a part of the, the zeitgeist and, and consumer conversation. And that's good for everyone. How do you look at the ecosystem though, where you have a very open ecosystem, right? You have Apple, you have Spotify, and you have a bunch of different apps, whether it's Overcast, Castro, there's loads of, you know, you guys, obviously, there's loads of different apps. How do you look at the structure of the ecosystem? Well, it goes back to your point about RSS, right? So it doesn't really matter to us because we are working with our creators to get them wherever the people are. Who knows what the next platform is going to be? You know, as long as it's open and people can consume it there, that'll be a, that'll be a good thing. And I think for us, as a platform that is independent, can work with everyone, Right. You know, we want to be part of that distribution engine and commercialization engine that can be plugged into any single platform that exists. Maybe it's YouTube. Right. People listen to podcasting on YouTube. Maybe there's, you know, opportunity there. So, you know, versus operating a platform where it's all about us, we do operate a platform, but it's only a part of the equation. Having a service that is interoperable with everyone, I think, gives us a big advantage. But, but if I'm a creator, why would I go to someone like Acast versus Apple or Spotify? Well, because Apple or Spotify is just a closed system then, right? Where Acast can work with everyone. And like, you know, look, I mean, a lot of those, a lot of those providers don't play nicely together. So getting yourself promoted on the Apple flywheel or in Spotify's kind of top tiles, if you're at one versus the other, it could be challenging. You know, in the U.S., you've got Pandora, you've got iHeart, you've got all these other... Uh, Android is going to be a big player. Google is trying to figure out their podcasting strategy. Amazon, you know, if you go to one of the big walled gardens, you may be limited to that walled garden. You know, we'll see what happens. With, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Joe Rogan. You know, Joe Rogan, as of next week, will be 100% exclusively available on Spotify. I think it's going to be great initially for their subscribers. We'll see uh, if it continues to pay pay dividends for them or People that, you know, love Joe Rogan, but love another streaming service more, they're like, you know what? I don't want to use two. I want to have my one that I want to listen to everything to. I think the, the jury's out on that and we'll, we'll just have to see. So how does the actual use of the flow work through the industry? So if I'm a, if I'm a host and I work with Acast, for example, I pay a fee to you guys to distribute my podcast to all the platforms. You guys have an advertising network or, or, or platform advertisers can then funnel funds through that and be distributed on all of the different platforms. Yeah, you got it. I mean, there's, there's, there's flexibility in all those steps, right? Where we help podcasters host and distribute their content. You know, we help analyze the listening data. We have a, a team of like, I like to call them A&R professionals, right? That can help them with their stories, help them 
figure out where the best insertion points are, how to, how to tell a story episodically, when to release them, what guests to have. So we've, you know, we really, really help from a production standpoint there and give them our, um, give them our support. But yeah, you know, in terms of the distribution, we, we distribute nearly everywhere and the commercialization, we either give the bigger podcasters the tools to help monetize it themselves with our technology, or for the most part, people want to tap into our professional, you know, sales staff that we have based around the world and that have relationships with agencies, with trading desks, with clients, with the direct to consumer brands, with the podcast agencies, with all of them, and they can source that demand in a very efficient way, either on a direct or a programmatic basis. It's a really good plug and play solution for podcasters that want to, that they know what they want, they want to create it, and they need someone to help get it out, promote it, and commercialize it. That's why you'd come to ACAST. And what's the structure of the advertising stack then? What do you mean? Between like, do you have, do you have a like specific you know, supply side platform that you'd have like on, in the video world and, and then demand side as well? How, how is that structured today in podcasting? Yeah, sure. So our, you know, if it comes to programmatic, right, we, we, we operate uh, purely on a, uh, on a private basis. So private, private marketplaces, uh, you know, either through direct PMPs or, or programmatic guaranteed. We have an SSP where that inventory sits and the DSPs plug into it and then you can buy it. You can use the DSPs targeting capabilities. You can layer in our own targeting capabilities and you, you can do all that type of stuff. So, you know, the ad stack is, is something more um, that is proprietary, but we've, we've brought in a lot of different third parties as well to, to help, you know, to bring in new targeting, to bring in new measurements, um, and to allow for that type of sophistication that, again, some of these other channels have enjoyed for a number of years. What is the biggest challenge in building out that stack? It's hard. <laughs> it takes time. You need people. We're a big global business. You have to pick your focus areas, right? We've got a lot to do as a big multinational business that a lot of people are interested in. Do you build or buy is a, is a classic issue that I've run into a number of times throughout my career. You know, sometimes you, 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 you build first and you realize you should have bought. Or if you bought and then you realize someone doesn't want to use it anyway, so you should have, should have built. So I think... You know, focusing on the area. So what I think one of the biggest challenges we have is to not to not get too caught up in our own vision of the world, but really listen to what the market needs. What do creators need? What do advertisers need? We can't just, you know, talk to ourselves all day long and think we know what people want. We have to listen to our customers and our partners to build things that they need. And the great thing about ACAST is we do have that kind of culture and we do have that focus on our partners to, you know, to solve these transformative issues with them at the center of it. So we do a lot of listening. We do a lot of workshopping. We spend a lot of time with people understanding their frustrations. And again, if we can make it easier and kind of dispel the, the myths about you know, it's too hard or, you know, it doesn't work or it doesn't fit in this nice shiny box, then I, then I think we'll see success. How does it work? Let's say I've got my podcast. I work with Acast. I'm a subscriber and you distribute my podcast to all the big players, Spotify, Apple, you know, you name it. How does the advertising commercials work between the platform that you distribute to and Acast then, if the, if the advertiser is using Acast? 
it's just that, right? So we dynamically insert the ads as it's being played on that platform. And then we get the data back, whether it was seen or not. It's just, it's quite frankly, it's as simple as that. Can I get into the technical details of how that data is exchanged and passed? Uh, that's, that's above my pay grade. But uh, that is the beauty of us is that we get you on every platform, at least every major platform, you know, there are, you know, 95% plus of consumption happens and why you'd want to work with someone like us. Right. But the, almost the, the end platform doesn't receive any of that advertising revenue, right? It's Acast that receives that and it's not the Apple or the, you know, it's the Spotify. Correct. You know, that's, uh, it's funny because someone, someone asked me that earlier and, you know, maybe one day they will, uh, maybe one day they will ask for that. But I think right now they're focused on building up their user experience and their engagement and they want as many podcasts on their platform as possible. So you know, shutting out podcasts that are represented by other people is probably not in their best interest. How important do you think it is to have exclusive content in podcasting? Well, I mean, look, some people have thought that it is important. You have to define exclusive though. You know, all of our creators are exclusively using us for tech, right? So in that respect, you wouldn't want two different technology firms representing your content. Take Joe Rogan, for example. So you're talking more about, yeah, uh, it living on a platform. Yeah, look, I think there's been a lot of debate about that, right? And the walled garden, will that help or hurt? I don't know the answer to that. But I do know that, you know, what has made podcasting great is the fact that it has been open and has been, you know, free, if you will. And that's, I think a lot of people find uh, that to be one of its most redeeming qualities. So. You know, we'll see. Video clearly is, you know, you can't, like I used the CSI example before, you can't just go watch an episode of Comedy Central anywhere. What happened when you know, YouTube was sued early in the 2007 for, you know, daily show episodes ending up on YouTube. I think they just resolved it a couple of years ago. So, you know, look, that's, that's the fundamental difference between video and podcasting. Uh, will it go that route? I don't know. Um, but I, I do know that I think users have become accustomed to be able to consume what they want, where they want. And I think that's a good thing. So you think it's hard for, you know, obviously Spotify have their kind of exclusive strategy. You think it's unlikely we're going to see Amazon Apple start to roll out more exclusive or licensed premium content to drive engagement and usage? Don't know. You know, I mean, you may see exclusives and then they go back to being open. Look at the streaming service from Tidal. You had a number of artists that were exclusive to Tidal and now they're not. So we'll see. It'll be fun to watch. Isn't this just a scale game though? I mean, if you just look at the most content, the most users, more impressions, more attractive to advertisers. I think scale is, is certainly important. But, you know, if you're just looking at podcasting and audiences, you know, you could easily look outside of the top 200 podcasts and still find shows with thousands of listeners that are engaged and who buy things. So, you know, I think mass reach is important. It certainly helped for, you know, uh, having big shows. It certainly helps your credibility as a platform. It certainly helps your ability to monetize it. But, you know, I think uh, podcasting is still such an intimate personal experience that, you know, there's value in podcasts that reach 100 people. 
No, there absolutely is. If it has the right audience that you can't find anywhere else, that's what the advertiser wants. What do they care about advertisers when you meet them and, and they're making a decision between video or podcasts? What's their decision-making process today? Yeah, I think one, easy to buy. Two, easy to, to measure, you know? And measure, again, not just from a media metrics perspective, but outcomes. Every advertiser has, for the most part, has some sort of, you know, measurement that they have in place, you know, and, you know, they have third parties they want to bring in to do it. You know, measure the amount of football I have in my store. What was my level of awareness versus a control group? Did I drive more action to my website? Did I sign, get people to sign up for an insurance quote or, you know, make it four steps into my website? These are all the things that they need to do. And they get invalidated? Are they, are they, are they accurate and they high ROI? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, a lot of the CPGs do their own media mix modeling, so you don't always have insight into that, you know, and, and they have different methodologies behind it, right? That's a challenge too. I've run into that a number of times. But I think as an industry uh, for podcasting, but also media is, as well, everything is performance driven. You've got to prove it did something. It's not just about reaching an audience. It's about what did that audience do? Because again, the procurement folks on the brand side, you know, the budgets are getting tighter and they need to show results because you don't show results. You can't spend the money on just things you, uh, you think are going to happen. You've got to be able to uh, prove it. And like you said earlier, there's still some kind of barrier. There's still that kind of inflection point that you're waiting for to drive trust and viewability with advertisers. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, and I don't know what that metric necessarily is yet. I mean, at ACAST, we think we have some of the best metrics available. We're the only company that's, you know, certified by the IAB 2.0 podcast rules under all four categories. We're the only company giving listen-through rate in the bid stream programmatically. You know, we're the only company that I, that I know of that does dynamic ad insertion for every single podcast we offer. The only ones that are really offering programmatic at scale today and doing it globally. So I think we've got a we've got a nice head start. We've got to keep innovating. Got to keep innovating. And part of that will be, I think, working with some trusted third parties that have that kind of had that gold seal of approval. They're like, look, the ad reached this person, this is what happened. You do that, off to the races. Do you find that the dynamic ad insertions have higher ROIs than the standard read by host ads? Well, our read by host ads are dynamically ad inserted. So, yeah, I mean, I, th I think dynamic ad insertion gives you better metrics. It makes it more timely. You can refresh creative to make it more relevant. So, uh, look, I don't have a comparison to compare DAI to, you know, baked in ads. But I think, the you know, I think it's pretty intuitive that, you know, the more optimization, the more dynamicism you can bring to the creative, the better it will be. And that's why companies like Spotify and everyone else are investing in it all, because they, they know they have to get there. What do you think is the big challenge for a company like Spotify or Apple to kind of build out this stack that can offer that ad scale? Oh, I don't want to comment on Spotify too much, because, you know, it's uh, my former employer, you know, uh, they're obviously very committed to, to, you know, building their technology out and, and solving very similar things that I talked about, right? Apple is an, is an interesting one, though, because, you know, I don't really think of them as an ad company, and I don't think they really think of themselves as an ad company. I think of them as a, 
piece of hardware and, and a platform, right? A platform where consumption happens. You know, they tried IAD and, you know, kind of gave up on that pretty quickly. I'm not sure what they're, what they're thinking right now. But who knows? Microsoft seems to be ready to get back in the ad game by purchasing TikTok. So who knows? You know, if, uh, if, if I knew the answers to this, I'd, I'd probably build out my own platform and, uh, you know, make a lot of money. But I think we're all, we're all trying to figure it out and grow, grow together. And, and when you're approaching advertisers to, to purchase your podcast inventory, are they buying music and audio together? Or is, this, is, it, is it just typically audio in their budgeting process? Well, that goes back to how do you fit, right? You know, some people only buy streaming audio as part of a music strategy, right? So an advertiser may say, well, you know, music is not a part of our strategy. We're not aligning with an artist this year. We're not tying ourselves to the Grammys or what have you. I don't need to buy audio streaming. I think those examples are fewer than they used to be. I think more people now just see streaming audio and I want them to see podcasts as simply an engaged audience that you can compel to action. You define what that action is, but I've got them. They're paying attention, right? You're literally injecting your message into their brain, right? Without distraction. You know, if you've got a compelling message about a product or a service or, you know, um, a cause, then this is a good place to talk to them. And I can measure the impact and the efficacy of that message. So don't think about it as a podcasting strategy. Don't think about it as an audio strategy. Think about it as a people strategy. We're in the communication business. And podcasting is merely the mechanism with which we use to reach these people and measure the impact the message has on them to do something. And the client ultimately decides what that something is. How do you see different industries approaching it to take automotive or financial services versus, you know, like you said, those old, you know, the, the D2C businesses that were laser focused on ROI and, and then early to the game. Yeah, I think DTC continues to be very resilient uh, given the pandemic because that's what everyone's consuming. You know, it was happening even before this, right? You know, we've got razor subscriptions clubs and meal kits and, you know, care kits and beauty kits and all this type of stuff for pets, et cetera. So I think that is going to continue as, you know, more of our food is delivered to our homes and we enter stores less and less. I think the pandemic only accelerated the path that we were already on. So I think the, the CPGs of the world and the autos and all of these categories, I mean, their business has been transformed forever. So, you know, Unilever acquired Dollar Shave Club to enter that DTC business. But, you know, now as a, as a CPG, you've got to think, okay, you know, I've actually reduced the time from when my message is delivered to them to that point of sale, right? Where think about it, if, you know, uh, I've got a message about a different hair care product, you don't have to wait, you don't have to, you don't have to hammer them over the head so many times that they remember you when they're in the line at the, you know, at the local Sainsbury's or something like that, you know, you just need to be relevant to them in that moment because then they can go, oh, I'm gonna go buy it. Boom, 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 boom. Or an auto that have optimized you know, an auto that maybe you could take a virtual test drive in a, you know, an Oculus Quest or, you know, another retail category that has now transformed their business to, to digital, you know, like in the U.S., like a Target or Dick's Sporting Goods. Take, take a, an insurer versus a D2C company. Do they want different podcasting formats at the end? 
We've had requests for it. I mean, I think you'll see, I think you'll see some innovation in interactive, right? In couponing, in maybe the contests. Who knows? There's a lot to be done, I think. Video, again, going back one last time to video, they experimented a lot with different types of interactive ads, a lot of dynamicism, you know, uh, creating new ad formats. I think you'll see more innovation happening here. But again, as long as it's done in a non-intrusive, intelligent, respectful way, then, you know, I think there's a lot of different things that we can test. And last question, Brian, that's around... What are you looking at as the potential tipping point for ad dollars really to to flood into this market? I think the standardization of metrics, I'll go back to it, you know, the last time is 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 critical for it, right? And I think once people can pull in a dashboard, you know, what a single metric did across all providers and level the playing field, I think you'll see more dollars invested from the big CPGs. And those metrics have to include media metrics. They really got to include the outcomes-based stuff. Because if you don't, you're never going to see that growth. You know, it's going to grow naturally anyway, right? Just because it's new and it's exciting and more people are doing it. But that tipping point where we start to see the hockey puck, hockey stick, will be that kind of third party coming in to be able to, to validate stuff in a transparent way. 